Welcome to Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest teaches on the value of marriage. Say it with me. We're a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Amen. Hallelujah. So we're going to talk about the value of marriage here. We're going to get right into the word. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28 in the King James Version. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Amen. I want to point something out right off the bat. As you read through Genesis chapter 1 and also Genesis chapter 2, keep in mind that the word man and Adam are almost interchangeable. It is the same word. So anytime you read man, you really could put Adam in there in its place. So read it like this. So God created Adam in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Amen. With that in mind, here in the book of beginnings, God makes it clear that the man we refer to as Adam was meant to have male and female components, which would be collectively recognized by God as one person. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And of course, this verse makes it clear that out of that unity, Adam male and female, yet one person, were able to respond to God's calling to fill the earth with their offspring, their descendants. Amen. So if you go back and read all of chapter 1 in Genesis, you'll find that it's essentially an overview of creation events culminating with the creation of mankind. But when you get to chapter 2, you get a few more details of how it all played out. So let's read chapter 2, verse 15 through 24. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now, that's a little King Jamesian. So the Amplified says it like this. I will make him a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart who is suitable and complementary for him. Amen. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. 
But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. The implication here is that Adam, as he worked his way through all the species, naming them, which was probably a fairly lengthy process, he noticed that each of the animals had a counterpart, that there were male and female versions of each of them. In other words, everyone had somebody to love except for him. And it says here in verse uh, 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. This is amazing. God took part of Adam out of his body and used it to form the woman that was best suited for and complementary to him. Amen. That's deep. You got to think about it. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, Adam's response is very revealing. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, let me back up and fill in a few details here that will kind of bring this scripture to life. And Adam said, some translations say, At last! And Adam said, at last, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, this is one of the few times in Genesis where the word man is not the word Adam. It's the Hebrew word ish. And then the Hebrew word for woman is isha, which means out of man. Man and out of man, very literally. Amen. And Isha, which is translated as woman, is translated 425 times in the King James as wife and 324 times as woman. So it's clear to me that this is not just any woman. This is his woman that is his wife. Amen? Praise God. Therefore, this is uh, Adam's response. This is so awesome. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Praise God. Now I'm going to go back and fill in some more cool details. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. First of all, Adam begins to prophesy about something he has no experience about, It could only have been revealed to him by the Spirit of God that one day there would be fathers and mothers because his father was God. Amen? Do you see that? So he prophesied under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. That word there means stick to or hold fast to. It's it's like this incredible super glue that you take these two parts and you clasp them together and you glue them together in such a manner that it's very difficult to tear them apart. If you pull them apart, you're going to have part of the one that will always be part of the other. Amen? A very painful process and an illustration right here off the bat why God hates divorce. It's very painful. Now, there is forgiveness for divorce. And there is grace for new beginnings and remarriage. Amen. So don't anybody be under condemnation. 
And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That word there means they were not embarrassed. They were not dismayed. They were not confused. In other words, they looked at each other and they realized we have different physiology. We have different parts. I don't want to get too graphic, but uh, surely it was plain because they were naked. But I think they had a revelation. They were different. But it was precisely those differences that would allow them to once again be one. You see, Adam, when that rib was taken out of him, it wasn't replaced. He always had an empty place on the inside of him. He was always looking to be fulfilled and to be one again with someone. And that's why God took the very rib that he took out of Adam and he made Eve, he made woman, and allowed them to come together again to fill that void That emptiness, that sense of longing, that sense of not being complete. And he put that in man as a primal drive that was passed through all the generations. There are not many people you will meet that say, I never want to get married. I just want to be single the rest of my life. That's pretty rare. Most people want to find that one person that will complete them, that will make them whole. They want to be one with somebody. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So once again, Adam was so taken by this revelation that he began to prophesy. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave or stick to his wife in such a way that they will become one. Amen? Matthew 19, verse 3 through 8. King James. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? You know, some translations say for any cause. Let me just stop right there and let you know that the Pharisees were the dominant religious sect in the time of Jesus, and they were very harsh on women. And they essentially had a divorce settlement that you could enter into. You could just write a writ of divorcement for any reason. I got up this morning and she made me mad. Okay, here's my writ of divorcement. So women were not treated very nicely or with respect and love like they should have been in the time of the Pharisees. Hence, when they brought the woman that was caught in adultery before Jesus, nobody even asked the question, where was the man? (laughs) You know, this woman was caught in adultery. Well, what about the man? Takes two to tango, amen? So, this is the environment in which this question was being asked of Jesus. I'll read it again. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife? And they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, 
suffered you or allowed you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, God meant marriage to be between one man and one woman for life till death do you part. Not to be frittered away for any reason whatsoever, but something to be valued, something to be cherished, something to be fought for. Amen. A unity that was like no other. As we will find out later, a unity that's a model of Christ in the church. The relationship between a man and his wife. Amen. Here, Jesus makes it clear that God hates divorce because marriage was intended to be binding for a lifetime. As I said, it was not to be frittered away for just any cause, any reason. He also makes it clear that hardness of heart is the number one reason for divorce. Hardness of heart, either toward your spouse or toward God or toward one another. But somewhere in that relationship, before there was a divorce, there was hardness of heart. You became hardened to your partner. You became hardened to God. And it led to selfishness and being more concerned about your needs than the needs of your spouse. And sadly, that's probably your number one cause for divorce in America, in the world. Hardness of heart, which leads to abject selfishness. Again, I say, God hates divorce, but there is grace for starting over and remarriage. There is forgiveness for divorce. I have uh, some friends of ours in uh, Shreveport, and the wife was married when she met my friend four times. (laughs) He had never been married before. But you know what? Praise God. She turned to Jesus And they've been married. They just celebrated their 20-year anniversary, and they have a wonderful marriage. Proof that God can take a situation that seems just, you know, out of control from our perspective, and he can turn that around and turn it into something beautiful and something wonderful. Amen. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. I want to show you in the Scriptures that when you become man and wife, you become one in more than just the physical dimension. You actually become one, spirit, soul, and body. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel. Now let me break this down for you. Here Paul makes it clear that husband and wife, if they are believers, become one spirit, soul, and body. Their bodies become one, but their spirits and their souls begin to co-mingle together so that they are one. It's an amazing thing that happens. And so it makes me angry to see our culture cheapen the act of union between a man and his wife. They have no idea how special and how awesome it can be. So let's turn this around to the negative side. So that means if you become unequally yoked with an unbeliever, if you enter into physical union with an unbeliever, then you're going to be one physically, but you're also going to have your spirit and your soul co-mingle with the spirit of the devil. 
This is why the Bible, and Paul in particular, is so adamant about don't do that. Don't marry an unbeliever. Now, again, there is forgiveness and redemption for those kind of situations. I myself did not listen to the Lord when I saw my wife. I wanted her, and I wasn't willing to wait until she got born again. And I married her three months before she got born again. And consequently, the first three months of our marriage were pure marriage hell. Billy Graham's wife, when she was still alive, said it well. She said, if you marry an unbeliever, your father-in-law is the devil. Thought that is so true. That is so true. So, marriage is important, marriage is foundational, and marriage is extremely valuable, which leads me to my testimony. Many of you have heard this, but I really want to share this again. I want to get it on the podcast because I want people to know how Jesus feels about marriage. Whether you're married now or not, if you aspire to be married, this is an important message for you to hear. On May 13th, 2014 in Bossier City, Louisiana, at 138 Downing Court, I was laying in bed and it was about 630 in the morning. I was on the left side of the bed. My wife was on the right side of the bed and I had a vision. I'm, I'm laying there. I'm awake and I had a vision in the vision. Jesus walked through the door. Actually, he opened the door, which later I reflect I thought was kind of unusual because I said to myself, well, he could have walked through the door. I wonder why he opened the door. Well, he just did that this particular morning. The door swung open. He came in, and he came and stood at the foot of the bed. Now, I'm going to share some details that I have not shared in public before. He was about five foot ten by my reckoning. He had a white robe on with an overlaid uh, tan shawl. It was really cool looking. It kind of looked kind of like Obi-Wan. You know, it was just really cool looking, you know. And I just had that image. It was just very cool. He had long hair, about shoulder length. It was brownish, blondish. If I had to guess the color of eyes, I would say they were blue, you know. I can't swear to that, but that's the impression that I got. And as he walked to the foot of the bed, he had a little baby English bulldog, a little English bulldog puppy in his arms. He was holding it just like that. He walked to the foot of the bed, and he put this puppy between mine and Trisha's legs and just let him snuggle there. And then he began to talk to me. He got right to the point. He looked at me, and he sort of extended his finger like this, and he said, you're entering a season a new season in ministry. And I want to let you know ahead of time that that season is going to test you, it's going to try you, and it's going to try and drive a wedge between you and your wife. So be prepared for that. Fight for your marriage. Value your marriage. Contend for your marriage. And this is what he said, because it is the most valuable thing you have on planet Earth. When he said that, I got a revelation in my heart that was very powerful. It was almost as if he was saying that Trish and I's relationship was more valuable than my relationship with him. That's not what he meant, but I I got the impression that it was very much a close second. God values marriage, the relationship, the union between man and wife. And I have to tell you that the next 
couple of years after that, this is right about the time that the Lord was leading us to leave a very comfortable situation, six-figure salary, Bible school director, university professor. I mean, it was a really good gig. And I would have, I could have, would have, could have stayed there until the Lord came to get us. And I would have been content. But the Lord started dealing with us about pastoring and coming specifically to Wilmington, North Carolina to pastor here in this area. And I'm telling you, the next two years after I had this vision were probably the most testing and trying years of our marriage. And I'll be honest with you, it got to the point where Trish actually talked about leaving me. Basically, she said, I just can't handle this. This is just too much. And so we prayed through our tough season, and we valued our marriage, and now it's stronger now than it's ever been. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. So just to fill in a couple of details, you might be asking, what happened to the puppy? (laughs) You know, I had the same thought. I came out of the vision, and the very first thing I looked for was the puppy. And I looked down there, and he was not there. (laughs) It was a prop that Jesus used in the vision. So my next question to the Lord was, Lord, is there anywhere in Scripture recorded where someone had a vision where you used props when you gave them the vision? Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Jesus is dictating the letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor to the Apostle John in a vision, and he uses symbols. It says here in verse 20, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the Lord said, yes, I've used props in visions before. Next question. (laughs) So my next question was, why a puppy and why an English bulldog puppy? Well, the Lord said, what do puppies need? I said, constant care and affection. He said, so does your marriage. What are bulldogs known for? I said, they are known for their tenacity. He said, you need to hold on to your marriage. You need to fight for it with the tenacity of a bulldog. And thanks to Mary Leonard, I have an added understanding. We were at coffee the other day, and she shared this with me. And she said, perhaps the bulldog was also a type of your faith. The faith that you would have to stand on to keep you two together was in its infancy, but it would grow from a puppy to a full-grown bulldog. And that tenacity would grow stronger and stronger and stronger. So I'm saying, yes, I received that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's the thing about visions. Even years later, the Lord will say, there's something about that vision that you haven't thought of. And that's an example. Amen. So the real question is, why was Jesus so adamant? And letting me know and trying to convey to me how valuable my marriage was. Well, I've come up with a couple of reasons that I like to share with you. Number one, marriage is a picture of the mystical union of Christ in the church. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 in the King James Version. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
This is a summation of a concept that Paul is building in that passage. Jesus was trying to let me know that one of the reasons I needed to value my marriage was that it was a picture to the world of the mystical union of Christ and the church. The love, the compassion, the power, the intimacy that is possible through that type of union was to be modeled by the marriage relationship. You as individuals and you as a couple were to model the love of God and the unity of the Spirit to the world. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. So, number one, marriage is a picture of the mystical union of Christ in the church. Number two, and this is what I really wanted to end with, there is power in agreement, especially between man and wife. Matthew 18, verse 18 and 19 says, Verily I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Amen. We've all heard that, us full gospel types. Prayer of agreement. Everybody knows Matthew 18, 19. But did you think about this? If there is that kind of power available between two random believers when they come together in prayer, how much more power is there between man and wife who are one spirit, soul, and body? Coming together in physical unity as man and wife births things in the natural. Children, offspring, which in turn birth more offspring, more children in a perpetual manner from generation to generation. Isn't that right? But coming together in spiritual unity as a man and wife births things in the spirit. Visions, dreams, great exploits and accomplishments for the kingdom of God from generation to generation until the coming of our Lord And beyond. Amen. It has been my observation that Christian couples do not pray together as man and wife as much as they should. And I am including myself in that statement. This includes Christian couples who are in full-time ministry who rarely spend time praying together and using the power at their disposal, the prayer of agreement between a man and a wife can move mountains, can change the atmosphere, can shake nations, can birth ministries that will bring millions into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? There is such untapped power in the prayer of agreement between a husband and wife that I believe it grieves the heart of God. Because so much that could be birthed in the earth is not birthed simply because we do not pray together as man and wife as much as we should. So today, if you're married here today, whether your spouse is with you or not, if you aspire to be married here today, let's resolve to change that beginning this morning. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message on The Value of Marriage. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. We believe in God the 
Yeah. 